years ago, you know I started off, I, I always like Matisse. And whenever I go to a museum, I take a look at the Matisse. At least that's what I used to do. Mm -hmm. The reason I looked at Matisse is Matisse always taught me something. I look at the painting, and Matisse left evidence in his paintings of, of his thought process. So he would ultimately finish off with maybe a pink or a blue or green on top of another color, and he'd give you the edge of the other color underneath. He'd show you what he changed, how he perfected. He was always working toward perfection. So I thought, well, who else does that other than Matisse? I just finished looking at a Matisse at the Museum of Modern Art, and I looked around the gallery, and I said, well, tell you what, there's a Pollock, and it's a monster painting, and I bet he has nothing to tell me, but you know what? I'll look again. I'll take my time and examine the painting and see what's there. And so I scanned the painting, looked from top to bottom very, very slowly, like a scanner would, got all the way down near the bottom, and I thought, well, I'm not learning anything yet. And then I see pink dot, pink dot, pink dot. And I can't believe my eyes, because yeah, but, you there's know, no just, pink in the painting. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But interesting, like, you know, Jackson Pollock, looking for splotches, you know, to find something, is literally like looking for, a you know. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it kind of is. Um, except that... It's like looking for Nina in one of those cartoons from the New York Times Sunday paper or looking for Waldo. It's something there that once you start looking, you find. And I started looking. I discovered these pink dots. But, yeah. but mm -hmm. I saw what is interesting, I want to come back to what you said yeah. at the beginning about Matisse, is that the thing that intrigued you about it is that Matisse was leaving some tracks right. to follow how he was thinking, how he was feeling, how he was, you know, something about the way he was doing his art. Right. And there's something about, uh, you know, it's not just looking for dots or looking for splashes of colors, but is in a way looking for the track you know, just almost like in the fairy tale of the, the kid leaving little pieces little of bread, bread or little bread. stones, right. uh, that is giving you some idea of why he traveled where. Right, exactly. And in the case of Pollock, I didn't know what these little drips meant. And I asked Gail if she knew. She didn't know. I asked other people if they knew. They said, oh, he probably put them on as an afterthought. And I knew that wasn't the case. I knew that because he painted on the horizontal, he painted the canvas unstretched uh, on the floor, that paint doesn't dry directionally like this. All these little pink dots were all dripping down in the same direction at the same rate of speed, and they had dried on top of everything else. Plus, there was no pink in the painting. So I knew that these did not belong in the painting. So, so unlike wanna, Matisse, yeah. Pollock wasn't trying to tell us anything, but ultimately it led me to realize that I could tell something about Pollock by figuring out what these dots were. Yeah. I knew there was more to it than stray dots, especially since the next day I went to the Met 
and I found a little red dot on Autumn Rhythm. Then I went to Paris, and a, par and a painting in Paris at the Pompidou Center, I found a dash of red paint that actually crossed his name. Then I saw in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, a painting called Lavender Mist. And Lavender Mist is the only one that has a really, really obvious dot. And the dot is over on the right-hand side of the painting. And I kept finding more and more paintings. Now I've found, I think, nine paintings with these dots. Most of them are on the front. And then I started thinking, well, if they're doing this, you know, how do we, what sense does this make? So, so, I, so, so I'm interrupting a bit the story. Sure. Because now, um, you know, you're on the track. You right. know, there's something that intrigues you. There's something about connecting to this. There's something that intrigues you. Uh, what's the felt sense of it as you're doing that? Can you come back? to what it felt like as you were at MoMA and looking the first time at the painting. Uh, you know, after looking at Matisse and looking at the, uh, uh, you know, the Jackson Pollock, and what, what did it feel like inside? It felt strange. It felt like I had found something that no one could explain. That was unusual. Okay. So, so... It was a so, mystery. So, so what... You know, describing the mystery, yes. you know, not in terms of it was a mystery, mm -hmm. but in terms of what the sensation is like. Like, for instance, say, uh, if I'm describing a painting, you know, I'm going to tend as a layman, I'm not, I'm not a painter, I'm not an artist, I'm going to think of it in terms of subject matter and things like that. Mm -hmm. But as a painter... You're going to pay attention not just to what it represents, but the, you know, the colors he uses. You're going to see more detail in the colors. You're going to see, you know, these kinds of stuff. So here, you know, not the story of being curious mm -hmm. or of being excited, mm -hmm. but what's the physical sensation that, you know, as you put yourself back in that place? That's a good question. Not, I can't say excited. I can't say perplexed. <laughs> okay. What, so. what, what it was like was to be hit over the head with somebody, something that nobody's ever noticed. Okay. I immediately went and asked people, asked people who should know. I consulted books. I could not figure out, I couldn't find any reference. Okay. So there's to, two things. So, In a way, it's like, there's something that feels very puzzling and, uh, yes. you know, mysterious. But at the same time, there's something about, wow, I'm the, this is one of these cases where one case, a rare case where I'm confront, I'm, I'm, you know, noticing something that nobody else has noticed. Well, and, and well, certainly with something that millions of people have been watching. It's, I think that has to do with the fact that I actually look at things. Uh, most people will see an artwork in a magazine or they'll see an artwork in on a museum wall and they'll accept it at face value. They will not, they, they don't open themselves to what's going on in the painting. They're looking for something else. Maybe they're trying to identify people or something. Everyone brings their own baggage to looking at a work of art and sometimes people don't even open up their own baggage in front of the artwork. I climb up on my ladder 
and look with my telescope into the recesses of the painting, either to understand the artist or to understand what's going on, or in a case like this, to figure out what the hell those dots were about. Yeah, I am. And, and, um, so, so there's a different way of looking. It's, it's, not, a, it's no. a totally different way of looking, and I do this all the time with other paintings, too. Um, I could sidetrack right now and tell you about a painting at yeah. the Pennsylvania Good. Academy go of Fine Arts. Go for it. Yeah, go for okay. it. <clears throat> I was in Philadelphia and went to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, and I always look around. I see, I see paintings I know. I consider them old friends. And I always try to look closely and see if there's something new in there. And, and sometimes there is, and sometimes the message is just hello. And um, I saw this painting of a family. It was called, um, oh boy, it was by Henry Bembridge. And it was his, it was his family, it was his mother's family, her new husband. And in the background, in the bushes, I could tell there were two eyeballs, and I didn't know what that was about. And I wasn't imagining anything, and I asked around. I asked the... So let me just yeah. again check. What's it like as you look at the painting and you notice these two eyeballs? I know that I'm sane, right. and I know that I'm seeing something. What, what, is it, what it's about is I'm, I know that I'm looking deeper than most people look at a painting, and I'm asking questions. What in the world is this about? Why is there this little mystery, this thing that doesn't fit? Why is it there? Yeah. And what's it about? So, so mm -hmm. let's imagine that you're back there yes. looking at the painting, and uh, right now for a moment, like scanning your body to notice what it's like the moment you uh, you see these eyes and you're aware of seeing something uh, that nobody else sees. Okay. In. You're asking me to take it from a, remove it from an intellectual level. Right, right. And yeah. the, it, it is a gut thing. It's okay. a gut, it's a gut thing where I recognize something that I know has other answers in it. And, um, how best to describe that? It is, almost like a sixth sense that I have, that I look so deeply at it, it just grabs me by the eyeballs. And, okay. and so let's stay with that image. goes to my heart and Good. says, I, you need to figure out what this is about. It's that, it becomes that important to me suddenly, and that's why I stay with this thing. I mean, I first found that, that polyp, those drips, I think it was in 2003. Yeah. But this other thing that had bugged me in Philadelphia, found, I'd thought about that for years too until I came up with answers for that. That has actual answers. So I want to stay with, the, okay. with what you were describing. You said it's like it's grabbing you by the eyeballs. Yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, it's like a direct connection to your heart, you know, and yeah. something about you've got to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Okay, so let's stay with that image. It's something that, you know, it's like, a, it's very compelling. I mean, at the very least, you could say compelling. Mm -hmm. It grabs you, you have to stay there, you know, and, and, you know, it doesn't leave you. You can't, you know, you're not stopping there. Okay, right. so what's it like to stay with that for a moment? To realize it's like, you know, literally grabbing you, 
connecting to the heart and have to stay there? Well, it, I would have to say, I don't know that it's fair to call it like first love. Love at first sight. Mm-hmm. Okay? Love at first sight, you're intrigued. Mm-hmm. You're intrigued. You see somebody across the room and you say, oh my God, what an attractive person. I want to know that person. It's kind of like that in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so, so it's something that it, as you, you know, you have that, you know, habit, that, that, that skill, that, yes. that practice right. of looking deeply. Right. And then sometimes something happens, which is like a person in a room mm-hmm. that basically calls at you and say, hey, this is really special. You know, this is, you know, this pre- the love at first sight. Right. You're called there and pulled. Right. Or, or maybe it's like a hunter. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like an instinct that a hunter has mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where everybody else is looking. They're seeing all the, the pretty trees and the bushes. And there's really something out there that the hunter wants, you know, to get. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, uh, not a pigeon, but a partridge. Right, and a right. A pear tree. And the hunter can see it. We don't even see it. Okay. okay? So that's, that's, that's very, I, that's very important because I in a way, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, how our brain functions is we see patterns. Right. And so, uh, you know, being able to see dots in a Jackson Pollock painting yes, is an amazingly you know, yeah. powerful case of seeing patterns, of seeing dots where other people might not. Well, to, I don't mean to blow your mind on this one, but when I found out that looking at the paintings and then finding the dots that don't belong in the paintings, when that came along, um, the new revelation is sometimes, and I just discovered this one yesterday, sometimes there are oversplatter and drips in the paintings that are the same color as the paintings that really come from another painting, hmm. which is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. But the whole... the whole. But so, so, so essentially mm-hmm. when we started, it was about you know, discovering that, the, for instance, the pink, that pink was not in the painting. Right. And now there's something that you can notice, yes. some colors, and they apparently are the same as the painting, but that you notice that, you know, it's not part of the painting's pattern. Right, correct. It's it's outside of it. And um, when I was up at Yale today, the um, one of the curators, or the um, uh, conservator actually, was pointing out a thing that had been devised at uh, Princeton for looking at the paintings and figuring out patterns and um, seeing what fit and what didn't fit. And that um, whatever uh, computer program is called uh, was never able to stop those things that I spot. They looked at the patterns of the paintings, but they didn't ever notice the drips. And nobody else, if other people have noticed the drips, uh, it's like I'm, I'm the hunter, huntering, huntering, hunting mm-hmm. an invisible partridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's stay with that image. You know, the yeah. hunter hunting an invisible partridge. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like inside? 
you know, something that in a way, you know, if you revise an algorithm that the computer has, it can't see it. You know, right. so it's only seeing it. So there's something very special, you know, in a way, what, what, um, seeing something that is hidden in plain sight. I think it, I think it's more, I think it's, I think it's more that I'm just trained to look at things differently than other people. I think there's something in me that looks at things differently. And I think that we all have talents or gifts or something or curses. This may be a curse for me because it, you know, how in the world could these paintings have existed from the 1940s till now and nobody's really made note of them? They just assume that, well, okay, Jackson Pollock poured his paint and dripped his paint, and so they're there. That's like, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But people so just accept things if they Because you know, when you describe this, you notice like uh, something subtle, like, well, these are different color, or this is not, you, you told me in another conversation, the same direction <coughs> right. as uh, it would have been if it was a dot. So there's something about your ability to stay longer with the open mind, as opposed to simply resolving, oh yeah, Jackson Pollock's put all kinds of right. paintings and so on, so therefore you have dust, no problem. But staying longer in order to see what might be a problem. Well, um, I guess it's a tenacious obsession, mm-hmm. and I guess that it's kind of annoying inside me, not so much to have an answer, but have some sort of a, I'm not even sure it's a purpose, um, I, I stayed with it, figuring out there's a, some sort of reason there. There's some sort of use for this thing. Um, I, I had this crazy theory that's probably true that pretty much any major thing that people use to, um, run their lives, to run their cars, um, comes from literally something that somebody else would throw away. Oil, gasoline, was something that was a nuisance until somebody could find a use for it. Um, certain, you know, kinds of, um, you know, stuff from, from animals, like the, the fuzz, the fur from animals, until somebody figured out that you could rub it together and make a string that, that was, you know, you know, right. it was worthless crap. Um, Everything all along the way that is made out of nothing can be used for something. Um, I started looking at these paint drips that shouldn't be there and thinking, well, maybe they're, in a way, there's a use for them. And I've stayed on this case until I realized something that was big, at least for the study of how somebody's brain works. And Jackson Pollock's brain was a marvelous brain. I'm sure it was, except when it was filled with alcohol. (laughs) Uh, But Jackson Pollock didn't put his paintings in sequence. And in 1950, virtually all his paintings were knocked over and you know, just jumbled up as far as sequence. Which came first? Which painting came first? Which came second? Which came third? 
because at the Betty Parsons Gallery at the show of 1950, all of his products from 1950 were in the room and they were put around the room so they looked good, not in sequence. And Betty Parsons said, okay, this is number one, number two, number three, number four, just going around the room Mm -hmm. and giving arbitrary numbers, which have stuck which have nothing to do with the sequence. So in a way, obscuring the, uh, Obs- the process. Obscuring the pro- process of creation. So one do- didn't really know, and some people say, so what? If you ever discovered the, the real sequence, so what? And I say, yeah, for you, so what? But for me, like my looking at a Matisse, I like to know. I have this need to know or this enjoyment, I guess, this pleasure that I get at seeing, aha, he did this, followed by that, followed by that, and I can see his changes. I can see his thought process. Right, right, right. I can see what he was thinking. And it's much like I was saying, if you're reading a book and somebody takes that book, rips out the pages and changes the numbering of the pages and then puts them back together in a totally different way, the book makes no sense to you anymore. Yeah. By putting the Pollock paintings back in their proper progression, their proper sequence of creation, then we have a look in his brain. Now, since he didn't have any record of which one was created first, second, third, and all we have is that jumbled thing from the exhibition, my painting thing, noticing the drips, now that I've started making note of not just what's on the front of the canvas, but what's on the back of the canvas, because most of the time the paintings were facing the wall, (coughs) I can cross-reference the color of those drips over splatter that are on the painting, whether it's front or back, he never stretched a canvas until the canvas was finished. Once it was finished, he didn't paint on it again, unlike some other artists. He never stretched it before it was finished. So he's only painting on unfinished pieces He, because he is an action painter and the paint, paint is flinging around the room, it's going to land on something. It's going to land on the floor. It's going to land on the wall. It's going to land on adjacent finished paintings that are standing up. Yeah. But so, so yes. in a way, you know, you use the image of the hunter. And yes. so like a hunter, um, you get to know, um, you, you, you really got to know the animal you're hunting. Mm-hmm. So you have this knowledge about Jackson Pollock and his painting. Mm-hmm. You know, the painting on canvas that's not framed. Right. The, you know, not adding paint, you know, once it's finished. Right. The uh, mounting it after it's finished. You know, and as you have that, and as you know the animal you're tracking, then um, you're on the track of figuring out, you know, the animal. And in this case, the animal is understanding the painter's process. Right. And understanding why he did what he did, how he was doing it, and making sense, and connecting with him. Right. If we can get these things lined up, then mm. then that's that is it exactly. And here's the marvelous thing. I've, I've only gone to um, a couple museums so far to look at the backs of the paintings. 
but the cooperation from the curators and the conservators has been fabulous. So and, maybe a yeah. little bit more of why you want to look at the back of the paintings. Well, because it's easier to spot the over-splatter on the back of the paintings. Yeah. And, um, and you were saying that actually painters tend to put their paintings on the... Yes, they put them face against the wall. The reason, the reason we got the first clue, or I got the first clue about those pink dots on the Museum of Modern Arts painting was that in 1950, for a long time period, one of his neighbors, a um, pretty damn good photographer, Hans, Hans Niemeth, took pictures, black and white pictures, and then some movie um, uh, a film too, but he came by every so often and he would take a number of pictures. And Pollock, because Pollock was um, kind of a creature of media at that point, he'd already been in magazines and stuff like that, he knew to use the media. So what you do when you have a photo op with a really good photographer who's going to document you is you line your paintings up, not with face to the wall, but so people can see them, which is why those particular paintings, and not all of his paintings, have drips on the frame. At first, I thought that all of his paintings were going to have drips on the frame. Right, right. But, no. But, but Just so, certain ones. So, you know, as I'm listening to you, in a way, it's, it's a bad pun that's coming, but, uh -oh. you know, I have a sense of you connecting the dots. <laughs> You know, yes. like literally yes. in that yes. sense. Yes. You know. And finding Waldo too. <laughs> and finding Waldo and connecting it us. The the nice thing though that I was saying with going to the museums and looking at the back, by the time I get permission to look at the back of the paintings, the curators and the conservators have already seen the value. Mm. But when we really, really do it and I show them what I'm finding in their own painting that they've been looking at for years. But never the back, yeah. They've never looked at the back, or and the one today, it was mind-blowing because there was unexpected over-splatter on the front of the canvas, and you can't see it in, um, except in close-up um, viewing, mm -hmm. and they took a look at it, and they just like, wow. <laughs> that doesn't belong here, does it? Mm -hmm. And then we looked at the back, and I said, there is going to be something on the back, and hopefully it's not going to be black or white or silver, because those were his most common colors, and you can't do anything with that. There were two beautiful red drips on the back, and those were, and they were cadmium red, and it was like, wow. So um, that we actually discovered, we know what painting those relate to, and we know what relationship that makes it for this particular painting. So you know that one predates the other. Exactly. And that's beautiful because one of them was said to be number two, and the one we looked at was said to be number 13. And in fact, number two can still say number two. But number 13 moves up ahead of number two, making it either number one or moves the number two back. So, In other words, the sequence has yeah, changed. The sequence has changed. So what, what's it like for you to notice that? 
you know, again, let's go back to the gut feeling. I'm puzzled that other people don't look at things like that, but I guess okay, there's so no, only no, no. a limited number of things one, one gets fascinated by. And it is, it is fascinating. It is pleasurable. It is a nice, you don't want me to use the word mystery. It is a mystery that I think I can unravel um, with, um, you know, this persistent, you know, looking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And by the way, that painting uh, in Philadelphia with those two eyes in the background, that's a whole other story that is a totally amazing thing where a painter redid his painting and moved people around, but he left the eyes in the background. And he painted over it, and he thought nobody would notice. <laughs> and it was, this was back in the 18th century. It was something weird. So I want to jump on yes. the way you describe it. Because you say, use the word amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I want to go, and it captures, you know, the, the sense of excitement. You know, because it's not just an intellectual excitement. No, it isn't. There's something that feels, you know, like there's something that's moving you there about it's, it. It's stimulating it's it really is more more than the the hunter looking for prey it's it is that idea of love at first sight from across the room that that you decide that it's more important than just looking at somebody and then never looking at them again it's seeing something there that is interesting. I think it's like a Valentine's Day story hmm. where you say, I like this. I, I like what I see. I'm puzzled by it. I'm intrigued by it. I'm fascinated by it. And I've never spoken a word to this person. I didn't even know much about Jackson Pollock other than what anybody else would know, even as an artist, um, until I started trying to figure out what these dots were about. How's that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've, I've learned a lot more. Okay, so, so I want to stay maybe with that image of um, uh, across the room, there's a face that speaks to you, that draws mm -hmm. you in. So the connection is made, and there's something that you know, is about the power of love, of wanting to be connected. Right. So, so you know, if we... Just speak about it this way. Again, just I'm, I'm going into the, the gut feeling experience of it. What would you describe? You know, we're not accustomed to paying attention to, to this kind of nitty-gritty description, but what would you notice for yourself about that? Um, I guess... I guess that it kind of... Does it make sense... When I say, I think it's probably the same reason I go back to Paris all the time. So say I, more about I that, yeah. Find, I find that looking at something and trying to find a simple answer is not what I find interesting in life. I think that, um, that Paris is not a one-night stand for me. Mm -hmm. That that person across the room 
is not a one-night stand for me any more than the drips are. I mean, I've been doing those drips for, what, 12 years now? It's yeah, ridiculous. But so, to so, be intrigued so, by so let's go with not the one night stand. So not the one night stand. It's not just like, you know, yeah, here, done, over. And simple answers. But I, I don't, there's something about something that intrigues you deeply and mm-hmm. there is a connection that's made and there's a deepening of the connection. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that for me, I only have a limited amount of time. I have only a limited life like anybody else. But I choose some things to be fascinated in that aren't what everybody else. You know, I I find something that's mine. Yeah. yeah. And quite frankly, I think those things are mine. Yeah. Those, because nobody else has noticed them. But so, you know, again, the beautiful example of dots inside a Jackson Pollock, you know, it's in plain view. It's right there. You know, so many people see them. And there is something in a way that speaks to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a way, you have that unique relationship with it because it's there. Nobody else sees it. And then, you know, that that deepening of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And there's something that feels very special and very compelling and very exciting. Right. And it feels... I think it feels special, too, that um, when, other, when other people say, oh, yes, you've just convinced me. There is something more to this. Okay. You know? And I like that. I like that because I, when I take the time to look at something deeply and get involved with something deeply, like that person across the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but the so, city of Paris to go back to again and again and again and have a deepening connection so that I get more out of it. To understand the city, to understand the person, to understand the brain of somebody like Jackson Pollock. But so, yeah, the, the idea is something feels very nice in that connection you have. Yes. But it's not, you know, in a way, it's not just about just you knowing it, but there is also a pleasure in then finding kindred spirits who can start right. to see it when, right. you, when you point it out. Right. I, I like that. I mean, because one, cause one it's, it's a relief to know that when I do point it out that these dots are actually there, yep. that there really is a city called Paris <laughs> that is wonderful, that there really is somebody across the room right. that, that is worth knowing, yeah. that that... There are things, there are perhaps for other people, they're minor mysteries and, and they're of no consequence to them. But for me and for certain people, a very small audience, God, it's neat to know that Jackson Pollock wasn't just a drunk. Jackson Pollock was a serious painter and he spent time thinking about what he was doing. It just wasn't a reflex. It just wasn't throwing paint around. It meant something to him. It meant something huge to him. And unfortunately, he had a drinking problem. Otherwise, he might have done a lot more. Yeah, yeah. He might have. But so there's something about it meant something to him. And and that sense of it meant something to him, and that process by which you're exploring what it meant to him means a lot to you. 
Yeah. So it's yeah. something about, it means a lot to you, and it means a lot to you to understand that it meant a lot to him. Well, okay. So I have to admit the other thing. What I paint means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And if, if one person sees that it means a lot to me and it means a lot to them, I like that. It's better than somebody just walking in, looking at something and accepting it and walking out. That's, you know, maybe somebody can buy it and hang it on their wall. That doesn't get, that doesn't do anything for me. What I like is whether it's, whether it's a Sandy Kinney or a Jackson Pollock, somebody will live with something and look at it and look at it every once in a while and say, oh my God, I never even noticed that thing there before. What is that doing there? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. an interesting sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that looking at a, a piece of art, listening to a piece of music, reading a poem, if you do it enough and sensitize yourself to it, you would be amazed at some things that happen when you repeat and repeat and repeat and revisit. Yeah, yeah. But so so we're talking about something that, say, spiritual tradition call contemplative practice. Uh-huh. And that idea that, uh, you know, you don't just say, oh, yeah, this is this and dismiss it because it has an explanation, it fits into a category. Yeah. But that sense of actually having that curiosity open, not taking it for granted that there is an easy meaning, yeah. but being open. Yes, and it is about being open. I I have been frustrated many times in my life with people who have simple answers, and the answer is usually no. <laughs> the answer, um, you remember my fascination with with uh, lace. You yeah. remember that? Yeah. And I knew there was more about lace than just meets the eye. It's not just a decorative fabric. There's something more to it. And I asked about the use of lace to somebody who was a Dutch specialist. And she just said, oh, it's just a fashion thing. That's all. It's like, um, no. <laughs> there's got to be more to, there's got to be more to pretty much everything. Yeah. And if, if, so I want to maybe yeah. just highlight, you know, okay. like if it were a magazine, this would be a very nice thing to put in bold. There's got to be more to pretty much everything. There's got to be more to pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. And I also think that dead or alive, um, there are some, I think it's more than just a Jackson Pollock. I, in the course of, in the course of looking at these artworks of, that Jackson Pollock made, I've met some other artists who had never looked before, but now they're looking, and they're fascinating. They're fascinated by the things, and I'm suddenly feeling compelled to look at what they do. Mm. Because I, I, I like that kind of connection. I like the connection of looking with other people at things that people don't normally see. Looking yeah, yeah. At, at that invisible partridge. Yeah, yeah. So looking with other people at things that people don't ordinarily see. Right. Yeah. So 
I mean, that's, and I don't like, I, I hate easy answers. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this sounds like an easy answer, but it doesn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, my daughter asked me today, <coughs> we examined the painting together, and she said, Dad, there's yellow on the back there, too, hmm. besides the red, but it's not there dripping. How do, how do we explain this? And I said, you know what? That's another problem. And I guess we'll have to deal with that one too. Because <laughs> there's no easy answer for that. <laughs> How did that get there? Why? So, so, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at this. The why, the no yes. easy answer, the keep looking. I think, it, I think it's the best way to go. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com.